music's playing and you know what's coming up here we are episode six of video marketing and stuff i'm finally back brought on the man jordan carroll today so i reached out to jordan on linkedin back in june i think it was when we had a chat then learned all about his filmmaking career and what he's currently up to so i thought i better get him on the podcast for him to share his story with everyone He's a filmmaker based out in Sheffield. Uh, he's worked with loads of different brands. Also, he does a lot of DP in for narrative work. So we talk a lot about that. We also talk about his favorite documentary, as well as the dream project that he'd want to work on. And also just how to be a nice guy that's going to get you far in this industry. So yeah, let's hop straight in. All right, Jordan, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So do you want to just introduce yourself, um, just say a bit about how you started in filmmaking and how you got to where you are today. It doesn't have to be too long, but yeah, just a few minutes. You can, I'll let you ramble. Yeah, I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think there's ever, easy, is it? <laughs> well, I don't think there's a, ever much of a short answer when you're a, a filmmaker because there's there's so many ways you've got into it or the reasons you've got into it, and it's a passion more than a job. So, uh, yeah, it can be quite hard to keep it short. But um, yeah, so I'm a filmmaker and a cinematographer. Um, I predominantly do a lot of self-shooting stuff. Um, so I shoot my own music videos. Uh, documentaries like small branded documentaries and uh, corporate videos anything really other than weddings um, and just anything that can be creative uh, so I produce direct shoot edit a lot of my own content but uh, I do also work as a director of photography on uh, narrative stuff so like short films medium length films and then hopefully one day that'll uh, lead on to feature films um, so yeah I mean that all started with school um school uh, there was like you remember year 10 where you had like work experience for two weeks oh, yeah um well they said you could drop a week uh, to do this competition and they they tried to pick people that they thought were creative or might have an interest or just thought outside the box so they picked me amongst some other people to do this thing called mtv boom and as part of the second week of work experience, we got the help of some professional filmmakers and we decided in our small groups to make these music videos. And it got entered in this competition where we got shortlisted, got to go down to London. Um, subsequently, my video won the whole competition. So I was uh, in a category and I didn't win and I was like, oh, say um and then it turned out they had a bonus prize at the end where i like me and my group won the overall prize and wow. with that we got some like contacts so from a very early age like 15 six i think i was 16 i start i got the opportunity to do some work experience in london nice. and randomly the school just paid for all this and i went down to and I stayed in <laughs> stayed in a youth hostel in soho oh. which is obviously like you know drugs <laughs> drugs drugs and rock and roll it's also the gay capital you know there's a lot happening especially yeah. when you're 16 years old um, it's very eye-opening and the creative agency was there and i got to spend two weeks with them um going on all sorts of sets and from that, I just fell in love with uh, video production and, you know, kept it going in college and then eventually went to uni where it became, there wasn't a music video course or a documentary course. There was only films. So I had to go into narrative. I didn't have a choice. Um, but, you know, there's a crossover with music videos in terms of how you make them look. 
and then from there I just fell in fell in love with that and uh eventually made a career out of it so yeah that's kind of that that's the that's the that's the origin story that's pretty good uh summary i think but um yeah well so before you were 16 were you using cameras then yes and no um i was dabbling with photography um Mm. but like traditional old school photography um and this pervy old man at this uh (laughs) carvery that i waited at actually donated a photography book and a a sort of slr film camera (laughs) um and and yeah he was a little creepy but he gave me some free stuff and he tipped me so i just entertained the guy um so I had some photography experience. But it wasn't really, I didn't really get fascinated with it until the the competition. And I realized actually like, I really like the camera and I really like imagery. So wherever I could, I was just nagging to get on the video cameras through the rest of school and college. Um, and I did a media course at college, but it wasn't media production. It was just media. So it was a lot of theory, but we did like one or two production things a year. And I just latched onto those um and then was just borrowing the camera as much as I could entering competitions I think I won another competition in college um and then just yeah just really started to fall in love with the camera um and then the same thing happened in university in the second year of university I actually bought my own DSLR camera as everyone was buying at that time it was where like it was in that crossover period about 2010-11 where people started moving away, consumers anyway, started moving away from DV tapes and then onto the SD cards in cameras. And it was the general, I was at the forefront of that generation where like people were filming video on what was a traditionally a stills camera. And it it felt like a life hack, like it instantly made your images look better but by it being on a stills camera you learn the stills techniques that you can bring over into video um, so my progression as a cameraman just like exponentially grew like I became a cinematographer within months like because I just had this camera on me constantly and I was just taking pictures filming everything um, and when you're at uni there's all sorts going on you know I was doing urban exploration going out into the national park you know breaking into old buildings and stuff yeah. and i say breaking in like they were derelict <laughs> so it's just a bombed out building <laughs> we, just, we just walked in we didn't actually break in they were already broken yeah don't um, tell everyone that it's fine uh, <laughs> urban exploration is the politically correct term yeah um so yeah just just yeah i just i didn't really i've always thought i wanted to be a director um because i'm quite confident good at mm. knowing what i want but this sort of DP side of it took over as I realized I just, you know, I could compliment the director and I was more fascinated with the technology and you have to be a bit geeky with cinematography. It's one thing being a videographer and getting your settings and learning how to do 4k and whatever, but to be a cinematographer, you really have to deep dive on the geeky stuff. And I, I, I'm not as geeky as some other cinematographers and I'm always having to do my homework. Even now I've just, before this call was looking at anamorphic lenses for five hours on the internet and I still nowhere near needing to be where I need to be. Um, and like yesterday I spent the entire day looking at one type of filter for my camera and it's that kind of level of commitment, which takes you to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. And it never ends. Um, 
and that 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 doesn't fit for everybody and that's why you know now i've started calling myself a cinematographer and not a videographer because it's not only i think it is a there's a difference in the caliber of work but there's also a difference in what you commit to the technology and to the work um i feel like i got lost yeah. on a tangent no, yeah but, that you was know, good yeah give me a give me yeah. a fresh question <laughs> no no we'll, we'll go from that because i wanted to ask yeah, because I think a lot of people who start out in video, they just think a cinematographer needs to just handle a high-end cinema camera and they become one. But what, I mean, don't go, I guess, too deep, but what are the things that you kind of need to know to be DPing on certain higher-level projects in terms of the camera and obviously efficiency working with the director, I guess? Um, so it differs a bit from videography because you need to know how to film a scene. Um, you know, you can do that to a degree with a corporate video, mm. like get your wides, get your close-ups, get your over the shoulders, but you need to, you, you need to learn like blocking, um, and also like syncing up the sound and lighting. And fortunately for me, I went to film school, so I did four years of it. I learned traditional film setups. It would be a lot harder for a videographer um, to just jump into that. They would just need to go onto a film set, go onto a film set, go onto a film set. Uh, that's all film school is. It's just that really condensed and you don't have to worry about money because you're a student. Um, so you also know how to have to know how to build a scene. Um, there's things like you can't cross the one at one. There's a general rule of thumb where you can't cross the 180 degree line. Yeah. And there's just certain little, little things like that, which a videographer won't, not all videographers, videographers will automatically know, but a step beyond that, you need to start really knowing about prime lenses. You know, you fix focal lengths when they're appropriate, why they're appropriate, um, prioritizing your aperture, um, you know, lighting is the big one. Um, a big thing for me is like videographer won't always care about the depth of a shot. You know, if it's too sunny outside, rather than put an ND filter on, yeah, they'll just, just stop down the aperture, close it up, yeah. <laughs> which is fine because it's a corporate video or it's a wedding or it's a, it's a thingy. You just need to capture the shot and it needs to be sharp. Whereas in cinema or cinematic stuff, um, you don't always want it to be sharp. Sometimes you want it to be a bit soft to emulate film. You don't always want to, you don't want that depth. You want a shallow depth of field. So how do you get that shallow depth of field when it's sunny? You start bringing in ND filters and you need to, um, it's not just as simple as having an ND filter because you might not have the full range. Sometimes there needs to be a, a trade-off. Um, you need to think about frame rates as well. If you super, do shoot in super slow motion, you need to start, adding in light, you know, a videographer will know they'll need to change, change their shutter settings, but it also reduces the light intake. So in cinema, if you've got a lighting setup, you need to increase the lights as soon as you do that. So it's, it's multifaceted and I think it can be a bit pretentious sometimes to just call yourself a cinematographer or even just be talking about it. Yeah. But there is a, there is an artistic element to it and you can never really avoid being pretentious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even myself, I struggle with it. Um, I, an interesting thing was when I stopped calling myself a videographer and I started calling myself a cinematographer and I felt like it's because I earned it. Yeah. I felt like I'd done enough cin 
cinematic stuff in my portfolio for it to be justified. And I felt like that had a, an effect on the normal day-to-day corporate stuff. So now when I shoot a corporate or a doc with a bit of play, play with a bit of play, I tried to shoot it as cinematically as possible. Yeah. And I've made it my trademark. And by calling myself a cinematographer, I'm also sort of selling this idea that not only my narrative, but my corporate videos will be cinematic. And, you know, I use, I am really into uh, a letterbox aspect ratio and heavy color grading, um, nice, taking my time with lighting and really sharp focal lengths. So even if it's a corporate video now, it might not always be necessary, but I'm, I've got a trademark style now where people are booking me for that. So I'm going to take more time to set up an interview rather than, um, yeah, rather than just like quick and easy. And I could do it quick and easy and I'll still get paid the same amount of money. You also want to be happy with your product. Um, so yeah, it's a fine line. No one can really tell you when to start calling yourself anything. I mean, what is a name? A name is just nothing. really. (laughs) It's just a word. Um, but you know, it's also, I think it's important. I think it's how you see yourself. That's important, but also how you build yourself. And I started calling myself a cinematographer when I wanted more cinematic stuff, but also I'd done enough cinematic stuff to earn the right to do get those jobs or win yeah. those jobs. So I, for me, it was a tactical decision. I just started calling myself a cinematographer or a DP, whatever you want to call yourself. Same thing. Um, when I wanted to make sure I was getting that work more. Mm. Yeah. Cause if you're calling yourself a videographer, you're not really going to get much DP work, are you? especially no. from higher budget, just because, you know, the team then will know that you're not, you know, positioning yourself towards that. And I still call myself it when it's appropriate. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. I'll be talking to corporate clients and I'll be like, yeah, so me and another videographer will come in and da da da. Sometimes it's just the language of the client you're talking to. And because I'm a self shooter predominantly, which is different to a lot of other DPs and cinematographers, um, I still have that videography side to my business for the time being. It's it was just the way I got into the industry, but um, yeah, I still film. I still call myself that a little bit. I think my business card still says videographer because it just had been a waste to update it and yeah, throw away through. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, it's not. You don't need to get too in, caught up on names, but it also says a lot about you and how you brand yourself. And branding mm. is so important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that probably leads on. Like, I was going to ask you about the whole corporate stuff, and I know you still self shoot and edit. Do you think that's a good way to sort of differentiate going forward? Because obviously, a lot of you know corporate videos quite boring, flat lighting sort of stuff. Do you think that can give you an edge, or at least it's the way you think video production will go for the commercial side? So I guess it sort of started with that being. I mean, filmmaking comes from films. I think the fact that they're shot now quite simply means there's obviously a lot of room for improvement. And it obviously, it's how you brand yourself as well, isn't it? As you know, you do exactly. your corporate films in that style. But do you think there's room to I don't think there's, like, I, advantage there or not really? 
yes and no. Like I said, people, they come to me for my style, and but other clients might not come to me because of my style. They might look at my site and be like, oh, cinematographer, um, maybe that's a bit too stylistic for mm. what we need. So I might have even lost work. Um, I think it's just know your market and, um, you know, know who you're working for. I know I do corporate stuff, but I'm quite selective with it. I don't work for everybody. Um, you know, my corporate stuff is quite creative anyway. I'm working for very niche, well, not niche people, but like, like I work with the council and the university a lot and they're open to creativity and they want this like nice cinematic look because, um, that's just the way they go. But then I've got friends who just work in proper, like, you know, workermen kind of truckers, you know, proper industrial businesses where they don't give a crap about all that stuff. Mm. It's just, they just need so much shiny and glossy and quick to go on the website as quick as possible. Tell the message, yeah. So it's just, it's just to, uh, it's to know your market. But also, like I said earlier, I'm doing it for me as well. Like, you know, it, it brings the fun into a corporate video for me. I yeah, want to be yeah. doing feature films eventually one yeah. day. When I'm, do, when I'm at that level, I won't have time for corporate videos. But no. right now, it's like, it's, uh, you know, it's giving myself a sense of joy from it. I'm testing my own skills. Um, I'm testing my lighting, testing that. So, yeah, this it can go either way. I don't think it matters too much. I think... In fact, we're seeing mobile phone videography take off exponentially. <laughs> yeah. um, and that w- some people will never want that. And some people will only want that. You know, the thing is, this, you've always got to remember there's so many companies and businesses who've yet to ever commission a video for their company. And to them, video is completely new. It's like they've just been living under a rock for 20 years and they don't know what video is. And those people won't, care or need cinematic stuff they'll just need someone with a mobile phone because half the time it's how you edit it um so yeah i'm in the middle there's no direct answer to your yeah. question yeah um well, i suppose that sort of goes on to your personal brand and that i mean how do you think about that i guess do you have any sort of key things you follow for you to try and differentiate yourself from other dps anything like that on your social media or the way you outreach? Uh, I think, uh, obviously, well, yeah, that, the market's just getting so saturated. How do you think it, how do you differentiate or how do you think it's possible to differentiate? Uh, well, starting with my look, um, I think it's important to grade color grade. Um, and color grading is such a hard thing and I still struggle with it occasionally now. Um, and I think just under, I think one of the advantages I have is because I edit, I'm not the best editor, but I'm a pretty good editor because, you know, I've been editing since I was 15. I edited all those college videos, all those things, all nice. the way through uni. I edited as a byproduct of what I do now because there's no point giving away half my wage to someone when I technically know how to do it. I'll only bring in an editor if I need to do all these bells and whistles that I don't understand or care about. But for most of my bread and butter work, I can edit it. I just need to cut it. Yeah. And it's just about learning the cut. The, the editing's benefited me because I've managed to get where I am in quite a short space of time. I'm, 
I'm only get in halfway into my fifth year of trading. So, you know, I had like a two year hiatus after university where I just didn't do much, uh, still played with cameras and editing, but professionally I've only done four years. I'm into my five, fifth year. And I feel like I've moved a lot quicker than people around me. And I think that's because I edit my own work and because I grade my own work. And when you edit your own work, you see your imperfections constantly. You're like, oh, I could have done that. I could have done that. Yeah. I could have done this. But you also learn to shoot for the edit. You realize what builds a good scene in the edit. So next time you're on set, you're like, oh, I can't shoot from that angle, but I need to get this angle. And it's the same with color grading. As you start getting into cinematography rather than videography, everything needs to be shot flat. So when I now shoot for an agency in Leeds or Manchester, I won't deal with any of the editing or the production because that's the two sides of my business. I don't always, there's two sides. I do my own clients and I work on behalf of other agencies. And now, because I edit and grade myself or my own stuff, when it comes to shooting for other people, I can be confident in the fact that they're not sitting at an editing desk being like, oh God, who shot this? Or who shot that? Or, oh, we're having to fix it too much in post. I'm a bit more confident giving them them footage. And when you work for agencies like that, or when you shoot a narrative film, you always need to shoot in a flat log profile because they want to do a color grade that manipulates it to a point where it gives it their style, their footprint. Um, and that's also separates videographers and cinematographers because a videographer, not many of the, the lower end videographers will color grade. They might tweak the contrast a bit, but they yeah, very rarely correct, shoot. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Why do they shoot lot? They don't, a lot of them don't shoot log because they ain't got the time or money and they probably don't even know how to do it um, in the early days anyway. So me being able to do that, gives me the confidence that I can deliver log footage because log footage is quite hard. You need to overexpose on certain cameras, underexpose on others. Um, you need yeah. to sometimes find a trade-off. If you do like harsh lighting, so you did a spotlight and the shadow all around it, how do you work out like having underexposed shadows, but then just making sure the face is right, but then there being enough tone in the uh, lift in the room so there's no noise everywhere. And it's like you find those balances by editing and grading your own shit. And you're like, oh, God, that was so, oh, I went wrong there. I went wrong there. And I definitely think that's given me a big advantage. Yeah. And also like now with the self-shooting is I build myself on the website very clearly say I'm a self-shooting, self-editing video director. And to a corporate or a documentary client, they know exactly what they're getting you know, so many cinematographers or shooting, self-shooting directors have to outsource their own editing. Um, but when they can keep it in-house, um, it reassures clients as well. Um, so hopefully that answers you. Yeah. Clients know what they're getting, but yeah, that makes sense. Like you yeah. said, just, yeah, knowledge of the camera is going to make you far more employable, if that's the word. <laughs> yeah. And you uh, asked... The yeah exactly it's just um it's just giving people reassurance isn't it um but i think another thing you asked as well is about my presence as well and um with anything it's i think it's personality completely you know yeah. i'm not saying that i'm prince charming or anything but um <laughs> one of one of the things that's quite good for me on linkedin that i've rediscovered in the last six months is the more personal i am um, the better it is um the thing I hate about LinkedIn is there's a lot of sob stories and mm. there's very 
very corporate language. So I was just like, I hate all that. Why should I do that just because I'm on the platform? So I've started treating LinkedIn a bit like Instagram and just posting a cool picture on there. And then, um, just writing a few choice words about what I was up to and just keeping it really personal. Um, and just exactly how I would on Instagram. And I found the reception has been really, really good on LinkedIn. And it also means I'm connecting with more like-minded people and I'm sort of filtering away the more corporate people. Mm. Um, which again, isn't a problem. You know, you might be in that world and you have to speak like that and you mm. have those clients. Um, but that's not for me. Um, but just in terms of, maybe in the real world as well, you know, I know for a fact people have hired me over a more experienced DP because I get along with them. Um, one of the biggest compliments I got given was from a London agency where they said I was cool as a cucumber. Oh, and I was just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I liked it because Testimony. especially when you work in London, um, as a Northern cameraman, we get a bit of stick sometimes. We get shunned a little bit. They think we're like stupid or we don't know what we're doing. Um, But it turns out we actually, we know what we're doing exactly the same. And we're a lot more chilled and a lot more composed. It sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it's rung true so many times where I've been surrounded by Londoners on a set Mm. and they've been running around or some people feel like they need to show that they're busy. And sometimes if I'm just ready for a shot, I'll just stand and wait there in front of the contributor or like, just let the director know that I'm wrapping and just like, just stay there, just nice and calm, just looking at the environment, keeping an eye on the lighting, keeping an eye on everything, slowly watching everybody, being present, but not being too manic or loud. Um, and I found that approach was really calming for the producer on that particular job. And he's subsequently kept hiring me because he liked my calming presence. And I know, you know, that's not a rule of thumb for all Northerners, of course. Um, and I'm not saying all Southerners are manic stress stressors, but there is, um, I think it just comes with the territory. London's very fast paced. They've got big deadlines. Mm. Um, whereas, um, and yeah, they, they, it's, it's harder to make ends meet because they've got to move quicker, rent's higher. Um, something about the lifestyle has clearly had an effect on mm. the way I behave on set as well. Um, and that has turned into somewhat of a personal brand as well, because, you know, if there's a difficult situation and someone's like, oh, can we do this? Can we do that? And you're like, yeah, or just straight up, just be honest with them and just be like, no, that's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think just, yeah, personality is so such a big thing. Yeah, like you said, it's how well you get on with the person that's hiring, isn't it? Especially if you want to get rehired like yeah that's all it is like obviously people say build your network but it's how well you get on with each person isn't it? and when you come to the top of their mind when they're looking for someone i guess i mean i told you about the good book that i shot in january with a good friend of mine mm. i got that by fluke we'd been working together for ages um but i hadn't done i'd been sort of disregarding narrative work for a couple of years um and only just getting back into it. So I wasn't really at the top of his radar to be a DP on this big short. And he had a right. ridiculous, he had a ridiculous budget, 60 really? grand for a short, oh. which people have made feature films for that much money. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, and he wanted to sort of step his own level up. So he was looking at this, uh, he found this DP through Instagram who had been following for years and he approached him and he wanted to like work with a really experienced DP. Um, 
that fell through and then he had to fall back on me and it was a blessing in disguise because the but the turnaround was so tight and looking at his shooting style and my shooting style his style didn't actually fit the story for one and also his style didn't fit the schedule um because it was all handheld uh, sort of children and men moving around it still looks beautiful and cinematic and stuff but it was just like you know we made some compromises we had a really tight thingy um schedule and actually all along it was better that i shot it so it was a blessing in disguise and now we're moving on to bigger and bigger things like he's pitching for a feature film at the moment and he's been he's got some funding he wants to bring me in again and i'm like don't you want to bring in one of these big dps that you keep talking about and he's just like no because you're my big dp now it's just oh, like you, pro- you proved that you could shoot that film but not only that we get we we already have a relationship we get along and he said the most important thing as well is you were just easy to easy on set like he said he's worked with dps before who don't listen to him when they're running out of time like he's just like the dp just like ignores them and just like takes (laughs) yeah just carries on shooting or takes up half an hour to set up a shot whereas when he told me we ran out of time i just moved on um so you know that again is a part of my personal branding is i'm just trying to be approachable i'm trying to be easygoing i'm trying to be you know just just work around them basically from the off. I knew it was a tight schedule. I knew it was what sort of film it was. So um, yeah, we could make those compromises. We didn't need to spend hours on one shot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think when people are putting themselves out there, whether it was online or on the set, is it, they're just constantly thinking about their skills, aren't they? And their portfolio, like how can I make this the best rather than how can I be, easier to work with or more relatable i think that probably goes above skills and portfolio really doesn't it yeah and some people overshoot as well they just want to make every film short film that they do look absolutely gorgeous but it's just like not that gorgeous look doesn't apply to every story you know i've looked at some short films i put together a narrative showreel a few weeks ago And I was looking at one of my short films and I love the look of the short film. Aesthetically, it works as one complete piece. I couldn't find an individual shot that I could put in my showreel because on an individual level, the shots weren't great. But but for the film, the shots were perfect, if that makes sense. Because it was like mumblecore, if you know it. Mumblecore is like a sort of like DIY handheld grainy shaky kind of new york thing that came oh, over right. in the early noughties um a bit like lo-fi music um very diy and i shot it that way and shot it on a really battered old camera and it was really <laughs> grainy and really underlit and stuff but that's exactly what the director wanted and as a, aesthetically for the film it looks beautiful as mm. a, it, it fits as a film but then it's hard to take out individual shots and i think some dps forget the reverse of that so they forget you don't you try not to shoot your style every time your beautiful style for every single short film look at the film and go right what is the style of this film and the one that i just talked about in january with my friend as the director you know it was yeah children of men we could we didn't need to get that shot and that shot i could just pan to that shot and it could be a bit shaky and um i knew the style off the bat so then when i was on set 
I was more comfortable because I was a bit like, yeah, we've got time to do this. We've got time to just relax and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds like a fun project to work on. Like if you could do that every um, shoot, I guess you would, wouldn't you? Because <laughs> just less. Well, uh, I got, yeah, yeah I you mean, still have to get the shot, don't you? I'm not saying it's easy and just the, throw the camera around. But. Yeah, you get addicted to that handheld style and it's very common these days. So I'm actually challenging myself to go back on it now. So the last few I've done are all on tripods. And all right, like, like, <laughs> <Fixed> stuff. <laughs> yeah, just like, because I've realized like the shot, I can get set up for a shot handheld within seconds where it takes me at least 10 minutes on a tripod. Really? Because yeah. obviously you've got, especially when you've got a heavy setup, not just when it's a DSLR, you can move it quite quickly. Yeah, but when you've it's got a heavy, rig, yeah. full-on cinema camera, it's harder to move it. Then you've got to move the tripod into position and then you've got to balance it and then you've got to do all the focus remotely and all that. So, yeah, it's... Uh, You've also got to schedule that in as well. Yeah. <laughs> you shoot in handheld, you know you can move quicker. I know yeah. people like me who are just starting out in video, they see these things saying like, yeah, I'll give like 10 minutes, half an hour to set up a shot. And we're like, how? <laughs> I thought you just whack it on a tripod, aim it at their face yeah. and you're good to go. But Point and go. It depends if you do yeah. the lighting. It's the lighting's the big one that always yeah. needs changing as well. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's switch it up dream project what's something you want to work on in the future could be any brand any concept any talent uh, <laughs> no budget i mean so not no uh, budget unlimited budget unlimited budget um <laughs> any ideas come to mind I, i'm gonna move away from narrative stuff because i do want to go in that direction but i think i'll always yeah. make documentaries yeah cool um and the only I can only sell a previous documentary that I just wish I'd made. Um, so it's Cartel Land by Matthew Hyman. Um, okay. You can watch it on Netflix. Um, but I actually saw the world premiere at DocFest, which I felt incredibly blessed. Um, I'm sorry, someone's just ringing. Slap them off. Um, so the, the thing about Cartel Land is it's uh, based on both sides of the Mexican-American border and he follows yeah. a vigilante group in Mexico trying to kick out the cartels out of their towns. And then it follows a vigilante group on the American side trying to stop uh, the cartels' human trafficking um, and drug smuggling. But then also, like, he, has, he did actually film some bits with the cartel cooking meth in the desert. And he basically without even having any funding for the film just got a few grand together and just him and a camera just threw himself into mexico and just wow. hired a just hired a translator and just traveled around mexico and he ended up being in and out of mexico for about two years following this one guy um because there was a really interesting story on the mexican side and he just threw himself into the situation where he was pretty much producing it shooting it directing it occasionally recording the sound and he just like followed this story in a really dangerous situation but like he put himself on the line in order to get make the film and i just love that it ticks so many boxes for me it's like that self-shooting thrill where you're there in the moment controlling the destiny and you're in this beautiful landscape and everything just looks gorgeous because like you're in a country where the light just the light is so beautiful um and 
Yeah, and then at the end of the day, you know, pitched it to some distributors and they bought it off him for like X million. What? <laughs> and then, yeah, they give him, well, the production company initially give him certain, a few, a few hundred thousand to like edit it. Um, so they sort of saw the footage, saw the story, pitched it, and then they helped him with the production, uh, the post-production. <laughs> and then a distributor bought it from um, Sheffield Dockfler uh, Fest, which is where I saw it. And that was Netflix. And then Netflix really? put it online and then everyone was talking about it. And I was just so inspired by just like getting up and going out and doing it. Yeah. And that rings true to my style of filmmaking, even with the narrative stuff. I'm all just about like, let's just get up and get out and do it. Like certain projects need a big heavy plan six months pre-production, but I much prefer the ones where you can just get up and go within a couple of days. And that's why I do a lot of micro shorts and stuff like that. Cause I love just being able to get out immediately and just film something and just try to tell a story in a few minutes and getting back and then playing with the edit, playing with the grade. It just gives me a lot of thrill. So I haven't got a particular job in mind, but if I could do something like that, sell my documentary for millions to Netflix, you know? <laughs> yeah. What would you spend the extra budget on that? Would you have like security or a nice truck to drive in or would you just go like him uh, you know, with I a think, tent and a camera like uh, fully off the rails? I'd probably just do what he did. I think you can get by in a lot of circumstances with a translator. Yeah. Because I think I've traveled a lot and I think if you know, if the, you can diffuse a lot of situations if you know the language. <laughs> um, so just having an interpreter um, would be fine for me. I'm not one for security and all that sort of stuff. Um, too, well, not too much anyway I mean it depends on the it would, situation yeah it would draw attention wouldn't it that's what yeah. made it good I think it, he probably made it natural by just having himself or him and his translator yeah for sure um, but yeah yeah I can I can only hope <laughs> what did he shoot do you know what he shot that on like yeah it was just a C300 so, so just his little rig yeah uh, so C300 is a decent camera it predominantly gets used for corporate jobs um very documentary-esque but he graded it and the grade is just beautiful and i think it won best cinematography at venice film festival wow um and he's on netflix now yeah yeah it's called cartel and it's uh highly recommend it and he's done some follow-up documentaries on other different things but i think cartel lands the one that stood out for me because it looks like it kind of looks like a narrative film at times because of the way he shot it and graded it and it's just like it's only on a c300 which is just just such an easy one, one man, like one man band mm. kind of camera yeah. to carry around. Um, so it's really inspiring to see that. Um, you know, I'm on the Sony equivalent, which is the FS7. Yeah. Um, a little bit more cinematic, but you know, I could throw myself into a situation like that myself and hopefully get the same kind of footage. Um, so yeah, so I highly recommend watching it. It's really thrilling, and you just you can't believe the audacity of these like uh, vigilantes in Mexico, just like kicking out the cartels, like, cause they go from one town to the next town to the next town. They just keep kicking them out. And these are supposed to be the most dangerous cartels in the, in the world. And the, yeah. these vigilantes are just picking up guns and being like, get out. That is crazy. Isn't it? Um, Definitely have to watch that. <laughs> yeah. So to be a filmmaker amongst that must've been so thrilling. And I think, yeah, I just like traveling and meeting people. So just, ticks a lot of boxes for me 
Yeah, can you imagine like the feeling he felt when he finished it or when he got home? Must have been like <laughs> the biggest yeah. release ever. And obviously, when he finally sold it, did he use that um, extra budget for editors and producers for the post production side? Uh, yeah, so. Plus, he didn't he edit it all himself. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, he would have. Uh, he brought people on. If you look at the credits, he's credited a few times in major roles, but then there is a big credit list after that. Um, so, you know, there was clearly a big post-production effort, especially with sound as well. Um, and, um, you know, distribution and stuff like that. I'm not sure exactly where he spent the money, but I know getting paid those, getting paid the money he did would have allowed him to then move on to the next project, to the next project, to the next project. And just, it just gives you freedom, Mm. you know, that's what I'm trying to convince a lot of my friends at the moment is that we need to get, make our own feature Yeah. because no one will trust you with feature money until they've, seen, can, something, yeah. they've seen something, but they need to see a feature really. Um, and they need to see something that can sell as well. So even if you've only made $10, if it's $10 a profit, you can claim it's in profit. Um, so that's kind of like the next step for me as well. It's just a sort of, get something and try to sell it. I don't know. I don't know if yeah. I'd be the director, but yeah. So you're kind of deciding between what narrative and documentary, I guess they can both be quite big projects, can't they? So as big as I'd you like want to do to both. I'd like to yeah. do both. I think it's possible. Um, you know, you just got to focus. Narrative just takes a lot more attention in the way it looks and documentary takes a lot more attention in actually finding the story. Yeah, definitely. All right, we're coming up to, what, about 45 minutes now, so I'll give you the last big question, then we'll probably wrap it up if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, the classic question, if you, you were starting again, or advice you'd give to someone who wanted to be, I guess we'll go down the route of uh, beginning, you know, self-shooting, self-editing, what would my advice for, be? Yeah, projects for, I guess, yeah, corporate clients starting out. Because, you know, they're not going to jump straight into DPing on a big project if they say haven't been to film school or something like that. So what would my, my advice for what? To to get there or to do it? or Yeah. So those starting out, how what's the, f- the first few steps they should take? Say they can, obviously, uh, they can edit a decent standard they can produce but they're not sure okay it's business it's just business acumen i think that's the deal breaker um you know a lot of people come out of film school um or university or whatever and they say they want to work in film but there's no right or wrong way to actually get into the industry and i'm still learning how to get higher up the ladder and i'm still finding multiple ways to get work so there's no right or wrong way but you've got to have business acumen you can come out of uni uh, or be a self shoot just shoot without a degree and be good at it but if you're not good at the business side of things you'll never make it and i see the most talented people go their talents just go to waste because they don't know how to do business and like you can learn business on the go it's not like it's not like a book i read it's just like I just learn as I went, like what's good, asking friends around me. I think it's just about, it's about who you know as well. 
So the advantage I had with Sheffield is that a lot of students stay in Sheffield. So when it became time for me to start being freelance and start being involved in the industry, a lot of my friends who were on the same course as me were already working and doing the same sort of thing I wanted to do. So I could jump in on their productions or lend a hand, or if you wanted to make a short film, you could have crew. So it's, it's very much who you know, but also just like the business acumen as well. And like I said, you, maybe you're the type of person that needs to read a book. Maybe you're the type of person that just asks the right person the right questions, or maybe a bit like me where I'm all three, where you kind of just make it up on as you go as well. But what I mean by the business side of things as well is like working out like how much you're worth, like who to approach, how to approach mm, them. Yeah. You know, you never, I never go knocking on door going, give me work, give me work. My day rate is X a hundred a day. Yeah. It's just like, you know, if they're creative, maybe you take them for a coffee, you pick their brain. Um, if it's a production company, just say like, if it's quite early on, just be like, is there any camera assisting roles or running roles? Um, and that sort of leads on to the bit about like, it's all about who you know. And after about six months, I'd done so much of this because I'm confident as well. So much talking to people that um, I got where I needed to be. And that was people, I don't think networking events are particularly that good. You can go to them and you can meet, maybe meet one or two people every now and again. Um, and it's good to hear from people, but it's more about one-on-one. -on -one. So talking about business acumen and talking about people, you know, I was just, I had like a multifaceted approach. So I, I looked at who were all the video production companies in my town, who were all the freelancers, who were all the cameras, who were all the editors. I asked, I found out what the teachers were doing at my old university. So some of them still worked professionally and I got back in touch with them just to be like, are you, what are you doing? You got any opportunities? Cause you're an ex student. They're nearly always happy to do it because it looks good on them and their course and their uni of their students and graduates yeah. are working. Yeah. Um, my friends who stayed in Sheffield were all working. So I did have a bit of an advantage of having close friends already working in the industry. But then I approached video production companies and it was like, how did I approach them? I didn't just nag them for work. I knocked on the door softly. It was just like, um, you know, how can I help you? Not how can you help me? So it's yeah. just like, when I was running, I used to talk about how good of a coffee I could make. And I'd like, Warp Films are in Sheffield and they're a big indie production company. They did This Is England and stuff. And I was just nice. like, I make, I make the best cups of teas because <laughs> I knew... I knew the runners, everyone wanted the production thingy, but what they didn't, what warp, warp, I knew an inside trick and warp, what warp knew as well is that nearly always they can't get people on sex. They might, they're an indie production company. They might only have a few shoots a year. So you, you'd be in the office. So I was just straight off the bat, just like, I know it's in office. You know, I can make good cups of teas, good coffee. Bring, and I was always offering them, what can I bring to them? What can I bring to them if they just give me a week of work experience? And it was the same with the camera assistant that I got involved in. I was lucky to get in with a production company and I was just like, look, I can camera assist for you. I know all about the lenses, the tripods, this, that, and the other. And um, he eventually had a, I had a meeting with him and I got face on face. One of my closest friends, Brett, who I talked about, this 60 grand short film that we both shot he was the director i was the dp i approached him for a coffee he was just somebody at a very similar level to me 
both starting out very early, but he had this trailer to a film that was coming up and he was hyping the film, hyping it, hyping it and hyping it for like nearly a year. It was getting into all these film festivals and everybody wanted to see it. And it just looked amazing. And he was in the film as well. So you knew a bit about him. And that was his trick to market his, him, himself. But I was so impressed by this that I took him for a pint and then one pint led to three or four. And before we knew it, we were really good mates. Um, we actually had a lot in common. And then he was just like, actually, this guy's pretty good at shooting. Made similar sort of level to me. So he started giving me jobs. We started shooting for each. Uh, I started shooting for him more than he, he shot for me. I was going to say each other. But this was all just about me being like genuinely, sincerely impressed by this guy and going, I want to work with that guy. It wasn't, he's got work, he's got money. Yeah. I hate that rule. You shouldn't just fucking you shouldn't just send an email to everybody just because they've got work you need to approach the people who are doing the work that you actually want to do yourself and then when you approach them you don't necessarily approach them for work you approach them for a genuine sincere connection so i was approaching brett to be like I want to know how you've made this film with no money. I want to know how you've built so much hype. I want to know how you've won this film competition, um, this film festival. And with that, we just had this genuine connection where I was genuinely interested in him. Him was genuinely interested in me. We parted ways after a few pints, a little bit tipsy. And then like three, mo three months down the line, he had a, a job that he couldn't do. Um, and was just like, can you do it? And then the ball started rolling. And then for the next three or four years, we just work really closely like that, where I consider him one of my closest mates. And we're trying to develop this career together. We know we can benefit each other because he's gone down the directing route. I've gone down the cinematography route. Um, so yeah, just genuine, sincere connections. And when you do that times 10, you get your name out there people and what was I, what was i saying earlier it's about people it doesn't matter how talented you are if you don't have the personality people don't care so make friends with the people in your community you know if i lived in the same city as you toby this is the second time we spoke we'd have gone for a pint by now i would have mm. developed this relationship even if we had no work for each other it's not about that it's about supporting each other because you might not be able to give me work, but I might teach you something about a camera technique or if you do drone operating or photography, an area where I might lack in, you might give me advice or you might have found a client this one way and I've gone, oh, I've never thought about doing it that way. Mm. It's a bit more casual and there's not as much stress about give me work, give me money. It's more just about genuine connections that's where you'll go the furthest because then when it comes to the crunch time and somebody has this big job where they need to hire two of their friends they're going to hire the ones that they like the most or they get along with the most and you know it helps if you're a bit talented yeah yeah <laughs> um it's both isn't it it's a bit of both yeah just comes with practice you know i wasn't talented i've only liked the look of my work for the last year or two mm. Yeah. before that i thought i liked it i look back on it and i'm like it was terrible <laughs> yeah um, I know you, you know it just practice 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 so yeah just you just got to be nice to people and you just got to find genuine sincere ways to make connections and then people remember your name and you get your name out there yeah that's really good advice so i think it. i went i had to go on a tangent for that one because i could let just, you go for hours it's it's a question that I really needed answering myself at the mm. beginning of my career. And now that I've answered it for myself with the help of others, 
I try to spread that knowledge as much as possible because some people just forget. They just forget how to approach people. Like I've yeah. had this one voiceover just... guy email me three times in five oh, days God, yeah. and I purposefully ignored him on the second one because I missed the first one because I was busy. He emailed me the second one the day later saying, have you got that email? And I was just like, you've not even waited 24 hours. <laughs> and then the next one came three days after that. So I was just like, do you know what? I'm just going to ignore you because yeah. you are being rude. Like all he was off, he wasn't, he didn't care about my site. He didn't care about me. Yeah. He didn't, didn't he, he hasn't looked at my website properly. He hasn't looked at any of my videos. He hasn't commented on anything. He doesn't know whether the right fit. He just he goes, I saw you're a video production company. Can I be on your voiceover roster? And it's just like, all it is is him. That kind of cold calling is, is what can you give me? What can you give me? It's not what can I give you? Some of them might throw in a line like, oh, I can bring great voiceover to your corporate videos. Yeah, great. But also like people like to be flattered sometimes. And it's not just about flattery. It's also just about knowing that they've taken the time to look at my website look at a video, be interested in something and comment on it, have a bit of rapport, have a bit of back and forth and then you'll return the favor. And it's just a bit more of an honest relationship. Quite frankly, it's not good practice, but I'm just going to ignore this tosser in my inbox because like for three, watches this. <laughs> <laughs> for three bloody emails in like four or five days. And I'm just like, none of it. That's just, I'm not yeah. gonna work with you. I'll just Google voiceover artist if I ever need one. Yeah, it's just the wrong approach. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm really passionate <laughs> about the right approach and the wrong approach. Yeah, well, no, but like you said, even though even you're still learning, you know, maybe in a year or two he'll realise that that approach is not working for him, and then he'll have a big shift and start being more personal. But yeah, like you said, maybe. yeah, there's no there's no silver bullet, but if you can try and do anything it's yeah start with being personal and then start slow isn't it rather than jumping it's like it's like dating isn't it it's a it's a seduction <laughs> they say <laughs> yeah but, but also be yourself as well like you know you would be yourself on a date wouldn't you so why would it be any different for business you know you yeah. just have to be a bit more careful about your language and your choices but as long if your personality shines through people see that and they're like okay yeah cool yeah. i'll work with that guy so nice. yeah, a big, big rambling note to end on. But he's going to explode that, at the end. <laughs> it's uh, it's so important, man, and that's that's how it all goes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's the cool. question everyone wants answers to, isn't it? But you just got to yeah. do the best you can and get the feedback, learn from others, like I'm learning from you. Hopefully, others will be learning from you, and yeah, everyone's on their own path. Just keep moving, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm not perfect by a long shot, but. Um, you know, I'm still learning, like you say, and yeah, yeah it's, it's just it's just a tricky industry. I still don't exactly know how to get work sometimes, or yeah. techniques that I tried years ago, I can't be bothered, or don't feel like I try working as well this time. Yeah, yeah, it changes all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, any, I think we covered a lot of topics. Yeah. Thanks for that, John. <laughs> really good. Uh, any final words? Anything you're working on coming up? Do you want to share, or is it all top secret? Uh, uh, I know you've been doing a few creative stuff over the Corona period, but anything else? 
Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I, before you, I'm, I'm on a bit, I'm DP and a BFI short in the new year. Nice. Uh, it would have been now, but COVID delayed that. So we're just, I'm just getting back to working out what lenses I want to use for the short. Um, but it should be a great opportunity because I've worked on BFI short films before, but I've never DOP'd one. So um, it should be great. And I'm working with a director that I know closely. So um, yeah, that'll be coming up in March. So that's like the most interesting thing that's coming up mm. between now and then. I'm sure there'll be a lot of just bread and butter jobs. Yeah. But um, yeah, come March, if you ask me again, I'll let you know how it went. Right. Maybe we'll do another one in a year. See how that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the recap. <laughs> I'll be pulling out the my <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, yeah, good luck with it all and nice chatting to you again, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Lord. Well, yeah. Cut it there. So. There we have it, my interview with Jordan Carroll. Thank you very much for coming on. Always great to chat to him. Got a lot to say. You can tell why he's done so well freelancing in this industry. And yeah, I'm sure he's going to work on loads of cool projects in the future. And yeah, that's about it from me. Catch me on LinkedIn and I will see you in the next one. Peace.